This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. His name is Jay Bear. He is a six-time author of books like Utility, Hug Your Haters. He's an entrepreneur and founder of several successful agencies. He's a Hall of Fame marketer and customer experience keynote speaker. He consults for some of the biggest companies in the world, the United Nations, 3M, Oracle, just, just go down the list. Uh, his most recent book is a New York Times bestseller, Talk Triggers, The Complete Guide to Creating Word of Mouth. It's really quite a unique book because while word of mouth has been fantastically effective as a way of creating customers, almost no business has an actual strategy on how to create conversations and turn customers into volunteer marketers, which is what the book is all about. So we talk about how brands like Five Guys and Doubletree create positive word of mouth. And then I'm like, well, I can see how you can create a talk trigger to sell more chips. But but how do you do that to sell enterprise software? Um, and he actually explains all of that and kind of sets me straight. Um, we just had a fascinating conversation. I, I think you're going to find it fascinating as well. If you're interested in how to turn your customers into walking adverts for you so you can cut the cost of your advertising, which he actually says advertising is a, a tax paid by uncreative marketers, um, you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Jay Bear. Jay Bear is a Hall of Fame speaker and MC, New York Times best-selling author of six books, a seventh-generation entrepreneur, and the founder of five multi-million-dollar companies. He's the founder of Convince and Convert Consulting, a digital marketing and customer experience advisory firm that helps brands like the United Nations, 3M, Oracle, Cisco, Nike, Hilton, and Caterpillar keep uh, and gain more customers. His new book, Talk Triggers, is the complete guide to creating customers using strategic operational differentiators that compel word of mouth. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Jay Bear, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Nathan, fantastic to be here. Uh, are we doing deals on the show? Is that how we're going to make this happen? <laughs> we're we're going to be we're going to master some deals in the we're, next uh, little bit. We're going to try. That's why you're here because you are a okay. master of some deals. Uh, Great. So yeah, really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. Um, so you're a seventh generation entrepreneur. Yeah. So that means that if you grew up to be a dentist, your family would have been pretty upset with you. Um, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but like, look, I, one of my best friends is a dentist and yeah. it's a pretty entrepreneurial gig, at least here in the States, right? Okay. So, you know, in the States, being a doctor is, is almost an entrepreneurial venture, right? Because you're not really employed by sure. the state or the government, right? right. So, so uh, you know, it's funny. I have to give my, my friend who owns a dentist practice like all kinds of marketing advice because they have to go out and get patients the same way that, that we do in the agency world. So I think dentists sure. would have been okay, okay. Uh, but, but my family actually owned a furniture store. Hmm. Uh, since uh, the mid 1800s, uh, so so I I come from come from furniture, uh, but but luckily I am no longer in the furniture business. Okay, fantastic. So you grew up sort of in and around sort of business, I guess. So your your family were Definitely. running businesses. Yeah. So yeah, my dad my dad is super entrepreneurial too, and and started several companies. 
uh, when I was a kid and we never really talked about it that much. It wasn't like, Hey, sit down and let me tell you about how to be an entrepreneur. Mm. It wasn't like that. But, but when you see it and you witness it and you're around it all the time, it can't mm. help but sink in. And now my son who just turned 18 and went to university last week and he, he started his own company when he was 15. Mm. And, and again, same situation. It wasn't like I sat him down and said, what you need to do now mm. is start a company. He just started one. Right. And, and I think part of it. it is, just, yeah. yeah, you're just sort of, it's atmospherics, you know? Mm. It makes sense. What What was your first business that you set up, and how how well did it do? Uh, my first. <laughs> no, we're, we're not recording this, are we? Are we <laughs> no, not at all. This is just you Sorry. and me. Uh, my the first business that I actually started of my own was at university. Hmm. Uh, my first year, I made fake IDs for other <laughs> students. Ooh, uh, okay. My dorm uh, had a whole setup. Yeah, and and uh, it was. Uh, uh, false driver's <laughs> licenses from the state of Idaho uh, in the U.S. And okay. uh, the one thing I did wise, though, I went to the, like, the big bar on campus, you know, and I was about five people back from the entrance and they had the two bouncers there working the door. Mm. And one guy says to the other guy, damn, there's a lot of kids from Idaho in this school. <laughs> And I was like, uh-oh, that's not a good sign. And I went, went home went home and destroyed the evidence uh, and got <laughs> business before, uh, before I was caught. Before you were caught. Smart, yeah. smart move, smart move. But, uh, but it, you were, from, from, from then on, it was just normal kosher businesses, not, nothing illegal. Well, as far as we know here on the as show. As far as we know. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. We'll, we'll totally bust that off here. No, okay. yeah, everything was above board uh, there, thereafter. And uh, I've had a series of, uh, of agencies, mostly professional services. That's kind of yeah. what I know, what I know the best and, and uh, what I've done the most. Makes sense. Well, let's start with um, talking about your book, Talk Triggers. It's a fantastic book. And to be honest, it's the kind of book. So at the end of my um, questions with each guest that I have, I ask them, to tell us about their favorite books. Mm. And I can't tell you how many people have mentioned Talk Triggers as one of their favorite oh, books nice that, to hear. That, they've, that they've mentioned. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. So you, you write that even though word of mouth and social media represents just half of the impact of customer conversations, companies spend billions of dollars every year on social media versus creating real world of mouth, well, well real word of mouth. Yes. And it's easy to see why they do that, because you can identify, it's measurable, it's controllable. But why do businesses struggle to create real word of mouth, despite many businesses knowing the power of word of mouth? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a few things there. One, a lot of companies think that they are, right? You know, I, I do a lot of speaking, as you know, and I travel around and, and address lots of groups and talk to, you know, thousands of people every month. And, and so often what they tell me, Nathan, is that they think they're already doing word of mouth, right? That, that they, they say, well, yeah, people come all the time because somebody told them. And, and I know, but but that is reactive word of mouth. And let me just digress here for a second and talk about the differences. Reactive word of mouth is when somebody is in a conversation with friends and they say, hey, I'm looking for a new uh, insurance company, who do you use, right? They're actually literally mining their relationships for a recommendation. And if you say, oh, I I, I use uh, Shine Insurance, they're great, I really like them. Mm. Oh, fantastic, thanks for the for the referral. That will happen for businesses that, that uh, you know, are, are adequate and, and do a good job. What I'm trying to get companies to do with, with the book and the work that we do at Convince and Convert, is to set something up where you can win with proactive word of mouth, mm. where instead of waiting for your friends to say, hey, who is your insurance company? 
same group of friends, same circumstance, you say, guys, you won't believe what happened to me when I talked mm. to my insurance company today, right? You, you, are, you are seeking to tell others the story instead of waiting for a recommendation. You see the difference? There's a huge almost all there. companies who almost all companies who are who are fine who are who are in business will get reactive word of mouth. Mm. Very few companies get proactive word of mouth because they're not actually differentiated, and it's because we have trained ourselves falsely, as it turns out, in business over the last thirty years or so, that competency creates conversation. That mm. if we just run a good business, people will notice that and talk about that. But that isn't the way human beings behave. Nobody ever says. Nathan, let me tell you about this experience. It was perfectly adequate. Perfectly adequate, right. Nobody ever says that, happen. right? Because mm. it's not a story. Nobody wants to tell a story with no beginning, middle, end, or, or, mm. or plot line. Mm -hmm. and, and this idea of, of sort of executing well and therefore creating word of mouth doesn't actually work. So yes, of course, you want to be a competent business. That's how you maintain customers. That's how you keep the customers you've already earned. But if you're trying to turn your customers into volunteer marketers, which is really the whole premise of word of mouth, sure. you have to give them a story to tell. And that requires you to be differentiated in some way other than, yeah, we're pretty good at our job. Like if I go over in the corner here and flick the light switch, I'm not going to be like, guys, guess what just happened? <laughs> I hit this switch sure. and the lights because turn It's a regular off, experience. Right? It's right. not a story, right? Sure. And, and that's why, you know, I it, talk to restaurant folks sometimes. They say, well, I said, what's your word of mouth strategy? We don't have one. Well, I guess it's because our food's good. I'm like, bro, of course mm. your food's good. You everyone's are a restaurant. Food, everyone's yeah, food's guess, good. Yeah, guess who else's right. food is good? Every Everybody other restaurant else. that's still sure. in business. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, same as same, as we say in the book. And, and, and you have to make a commitment to do something on purpose that's designed to create conversations. And few, this is the part that's so crazy. Word of mouth influences half of all purchases. 1% hmm. of businesses have a word of mouth strategy. That's phenomenal. In fact, you cite a study from John Jantz, the author of Duct Tape Marketing, who he said, well, he found that 63% of business, business owners believe that more than half of their revenue comes from referrals, but only 80% had, well, 80% had no defined system for actually generating yep. those referrals. And that's similar to yep. the point that you just made. Yep. So I think that's probably the same for our listeners as well, sort of owners and founders of B2B marketing agencies. So they get referrals and recommendations, but they don't have an, a, a proactive plan or strategy to incite those conversations. Um, no, they, they figure, hey, if we do a good job, yeah. if, if we execute well for our clients, those clients will tell our story. And, and they will, at some level, in a reactive capacity. But you're not most times giving them a story to tell that they can't wait to tell. That's the difference. So what's the difference between a talk trigger and PR then? Because some people would say, well, by creating positive PR, you're creating awareness mm -hmm. about the brand or about your you're offering, what's the difference between a talk trigger and traditional PR? Well, traditional PR is going to be a story that a third party tells about you, right? Some sort of a media outlet, a blog or a radio station, whatever the circumstances are. Word of mouth is a story that the customer tells about you, hmm. which inherently is more trusted and more trustworthy and more powerful and more persuasive uh, because the customer has firsthand experience, right? They, they have been a customer. Furthermore, uh, a talk trigger has to be an experience, it has to be an experience. 
public relations, and, and I'm not running public relations down. I have many public relations clients. I came from public relations originally, so so very familiar with the discipline and 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 when it works. But PR is is a story about something in abstract. It's not experiential. Talk triggers have to be experiential. It has to be something that happens to you, um, something that's put in your hands, something that you that you do experience in three dimensions, because that's what makes it a story that you can tell from a first person perspective. I'll give you an example of how important that difference is. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, uh, we talk a lot about uh, Doubletree Hotels and how they famously give each guest a warm chocolate chip cookie when they check into the hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, every day, we did a lot of research on this, and, and every day about 22,500 stories are told about that chocolate chip cookie worldwide, which is one of the reasons why Doubletree spends almost nothing on advertising, despite the fact that they're a very large hotel chain. Mm. So everybody listening, everybody, let me just finish this point real mm. quick. Everybody listening has been in a hotel. Everybody has been in a hotel that has a basket of apples or some such sure. at, at registration. Zero people listening have ever told a story about that hmm. because it's just apples sitting there. So if the cookies that Doubletree hands out were just a pile of cookies under a glass dome, right. nobody would tell the story. Right. The difference is that they've made it an experience because they have an oven in each hotel. Mm -hmm. The front desk clerk goes to the oven, pulls the cookie out when it's still warm, puts it in a paper sleeve, and then hands it to you. The hand-to-hand -hand pass mm -hmm. takes it from a pile of cookies to a cookie ceremony. That difference between a pile of cookies and get being handed a cookie is what makes it an experience, and an experience is what makes it talkable. And and you can you can mention an experience in in public relations, but it's different than actually having that experience happen to you. I see. Okay. Whereas I guess. Also, PR is a single event, and it doesn't necessarily happen time. It's not repeatable. It doesn't happen right. time and time again to every single customer. It's an event Correct. that maybe people might talk about or mention to their friends, but it's not intrinsic always to what the product or the offering is, and it's not something that is repeatable and an experience. Which is so yeah. important. Mm. It's so important. I talk triggers, you know, and here's the part that, that, that I think for agency folks in particular – is critical to understand. We we all have heard the phrase and used the phrase word of mouth marketing. Yes, mm -hmm. um, talk triggers aren't really marketing. Not not in the classic sense, right? It's not a price for product or promotion. It's not a contest, a coupon, or a campaign. It, it really is customer experience. It is operations. It's an operational differentiator that then creates marketing advantages for sure. But it's not marketing. It's not a campaign. It's not a, it's not a slogan. It's not a stunt. It's something that you do differently in the operations of your business or you encourage your clients to do so, so that customers notice it and it gives them that that story fuel to to engage in the proactive word of mouth. So sometimes we we think, well, geez, this is you know, how, how does this compare to advertising or PR or anything else? It really doesn't because it's 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 really from the operational side of the business, not the classic communication side. Hmm. And as you said, there are so many benefits to this. I, th I think you cite a couple of examples in, in the book where um, the marketing budget of those organizations that have a, a good talk trigger is, is is significantly reduced compared to their competitors who have to proactively drum up awareness through advertising yeah. and spending and paid social and all, all the rest of it. So if it doesn't can... matter. It doesn't matter what kind of business you are. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're an agency or a furniture store or a fake ID manufacturer uh, or a dentist or an airline manager. It doesn't matter what kind of business you are. 
the best way to grow every business in the world is for the customers to do that growing for you. And the way that happens is you turn the customers into volunteer marketers. Mm. And the way that happens is you give them a story. And the way that happens is you do something purposefully that is a story. Well, let's talk about a couple more examples then to make it a little bit more concrete for people. So one of my favorite examples in the book is from Five Guys. So I'm yeah. regularly in Five Guys a lot. And the nice. first time... The first time I got a Five Guys burger and they had loads of fries in the bag, when I was an, a ridiculous number of fries in the bag, I was I thought they made a mistake. I thought, sure, you know, someone has you know someone has done this twice. So I didn't go back and and, and report the error. I was like, okay, <laughs> great, I'm going to eat like, all I these win. fries to myself. Right, exactly. <laughs> for me. But that's intentional. Every single time yeah. you go to Five Guys, they put a just a huge number of fries, and I can't help but talk about it. But that's intentional. That's a that's a talk trigger. Hundred percent, right? We we talk to the five guys themselves, and and every time you you get food to go at at Five Guys Burgers and Fries around the world, you know you at the bottom of the bag is mm. your 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 burger, mm. uh, and and then if you order fries, it's just it's like chaos in there, right? I mean, you, you know, a small a small order of fries yeah. is is enough for like eleven sure. people. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's actually sort yeah. of absurd. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes in the entire book is yeah. is from the Five Guys founder who said, if people aren't complaining that there are too many fries, then we have not given them enough fries. And I'm like, that's <laughs> that's like perfect, man. That nails it. Brilliant. But yeah, they, they, it's, it's 100 percent on yeah. purpose. Uh, mm. They started it in the early days of the company and mm. it served them very, very well. It is it is an operational differentiator yeah. designed to create conversations. It's not designed to give away fries. It's not designed to sell drinks. It's solely designed to surprise you mm. enough that you say, man, I went to five guys and, and there's so many fries. Like, fries. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turning to free, free marketing and advertising for you. Makes sense. The other example that you give is from the Cheesecake Factory, which we actually don't have in the UK. I don't think we Too have bad. anyway. I've never been. No, you don't. There's, it's, only, there's all in the US. They're all in the US. One in Canada. Uh, right. Yeah, one in Canada. It's open in Toronto. They sound uh, great. It, it is. It, they make all the food. It's they make they make everything. Uh, it's that that's their calling card. Their 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 menu is uh, about uh, you know fifteen percent as long as the whole book talk triggers. Right. The the menu is like. <laughs> Almost seven thousand words long. Seven thousand um, word menu. Yeah, they so make it's a chicken. large menu. So it's yeah, a... they make chicken eighty-five different ways. One menu, eighty-five different chicken dishes. Why so do you need eighty-five different? Types you don't. Of you don't need more than four, probably. <laughs> but but they that's their thing, right? right? And actually, it's a great special occasion and date restaurant in the U.S. because. Mm. If you don't really know what kind of food somebody likes, it doesn't matter because they make all the food. You know, it's it's you know, if you can't find something that you like on the Cheesecake sure. Factory menu, you 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 don't, you don't actually like eat food. food. Yeah, there's yeah, like, there's nothing. Right. We can't help you. <laughs> but I feel like it's the worst place ever to be a waiter mm. uh, because you know you come to the table and you're like, are you guys ready to order? Like, no, no, like, another half an hour. Go go on break, like, and then come back and ask me again. It really is. I wish we had the visual here. It is yeah. absurd. It is truly absurd. But the thing about it is it creates so much conversation. If you just go to Twitter and search, like pause the show right now and go do this and 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 come back and you'll you'll believe me. Go to Twitter, search Cheesecake Factory Plus Menu, and right. you will see tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet and right. photos and memes and jokes and songs yeah. and haikus. 
all about this giant menu, right? It is a constant stream every single day of the year about this menu. That is their talk trigger. It is not an accident. Huh. Quite fascinating. One of the other examples that, um, and I don't actually know whether, I don't think this is in uh, the book, but we have a restaurant here or chain here called Pret's, pret Do you have Pret in? Sure, the, yes, in the... we do. Yes, okay, uh, quite, do. quite a few now, um, especially in the cities. There's many in New York uh, and, and Los Angeles and Philadelphia and Boston. A lot of the bigger cities uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. have right. lots of Pret's. Okay, yeah. so they have a talk trigger. I don't know whether this is in, it's, it's an intentional talk trigger or not, but... Um, a few months ago, when I went into Pret, I ordered, I think, a coffee and a, a, a croissant or some kind of pastry because I'm, yeah, I love my pastries. But um, <laughs> I had a chat with the with the, with the server, with the waitress lady, and a couple of maybe 30-second chat. How are you? How's your day? How's your morning? Great. And then she said, it's on the house. It's free. She gave me the, you know, what I ordered for free. I can't remember what wow. I ordered now, but she gave gave it to me for free. And I said, why? And she says, oh, you know, be, just because you're a nice person and have a, have a good day, that's all. And I left the store and I told every single person yeah. on my WhatsApp, I told everybody that, oh my God, Pritt has given me, by the way, Starbucks has never done that. I've been in Starbucks no, for sure. many, many years. They've never given me anything for free. Um, but that's a fantastic, and apparently uh, they have a budget of 10 pounds a day. So for every server that's in Pret. They have a budget of ten pounds a day to be able to give a customer. Wow, I did not know that, but yeah. I love it. That's a great idea. That's fantastic. Yeah. But it, it turned me into a walking billboard for them because of I was course. just like, everyone has to go to Pret. It yeah. was amazing. So, is is that the kind of thing that you mean as well? Yes. Or is that a little bit different? Yes, and and no on one point. Um, generally speaking, one hundred percent dead on. The only thing that we would suggest makes it perhaps less than an ideal talk trigger and in violation of one of the four R's that we talk about in the book is that it's not truly repeatable. So what we look for in talk triggers are operational differentiators that every customer of that business, whether it's B2B or B2C, can experience. In this case, it's 10 pounds per day, which is fantastic, but that means it's two or three people a day. We would prefer your differentiator to be something that every single person who who transacts with you has sure. experience with. That's why Doubletree gives everybody a cookie. Right. Everybody gets the giant menu at Cheesecake Factory. Everybody gets, gets the, the prize. Same experience. And, and, and the reason the reason we do it that way is that again, you're trying to maximize the number of customers who who tell the story mm. and just from a pure math standpoint yeah. well while you're while, while you're now committed to telling the story mm. which is fantastic most people aren't because only a small percentage of their customers actually get free sure. food the other thing that always makes me a little bit nervous about that kind of program in particular is that if you have been given something uh, that that other people clearly have not because there's 10 pounds per day I come in expecting everything free from Pret, and I'm like, bro, how come I'm not? How come I'm not as good as me? You need to smile it, more. You need, yeah, to, you right. Need, and you need so, to be and so, sometimes, sometimes when you when you um, when you treat customers mm. unequally, it it can actually create some problems down the road. Um, not always, but but sometimes people go, well, how come? Where's my where's my free thing? Mm. So, um, I love the idea in general. Uh, but it's probably not one that, that we would recommend at least going through the, the the structure that we use in our consulting practice. Makes makes sense. Now, the audience might be thinking at, at this point, okay, that's fine for consumer brands, but we're selling 
B2B here in the main. Yeah, yeah. Uh, surely the same, the same rules don't apply. 100% same rules apply. Okay, talk about some... 100% about... and actually more so. Okay. A couple of reasons. One, uh, I mentioned earlier that, that word of mouth uh, impacts 50% of all purchases. Hmm. Word of mouth influences 91% of B2B purchases. Wow. Now, there are other factors to play, of course, but, but B2B has a role to play. Uh, in, in or I should say word of mouth has a role to play in 91% of B2B purchases. Hmm. And most B2B purchases have multiple um, people involved, right? So, so generally speaking, the, the rule of thumb is four to seven people have, have influence in a significant B2B purchase. So you've got more people who... Uh, who, who can tell the story, who who need to hear the story, who need to be committed to buy whenever it, it is, um, which makes word of mouth even more important. And word of mouth is super important for B2B because the stakes are higher, generally speaking, if you make a bad decision, right? So sure. you're going to do more research. You're going to listen to current customers. Look, if I make a bad licorice decision, like it's going to be okay. It affects right? you. But if I hire a B2B marketing agency that ends up not doing what I want them to do, that, sure. that, has, that has costs, sure. real costs associated with it so mm -hmm. uh word of mouth if anything is more important for b2b than for b2c furthermore nathan uh talk triggers actually are more effective in b2b than for b2c huh. why? why why is that okay because somehow most b2b companies have taken a vow of boredom they they just they just almost reflexively refuse to do anything to stand out right there's mm -hmm. B2B is is afflicted even more so than B2C mm. with with the follow the leader disease, mm. which is who who is the biggest, the best, the seemingly most efficient in our category? How can we kind Let's of copy them? They, yeah, how can we kind of mimic what they do? Mm. That's a safe bet, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's it reduces risk, and they've kind of proven that it that it has a, a success formula there, and it happens all the time in every category, whether it's professional services or software, manufacturing, mm -hmm. pharma. It doesn't matter. Fin you know, financial, uh, all of them uh, is is kind of the same circumstances. So, when you actually do something to stand out in B two B, when you actually use a talk trigger in B two B, it can have massive impacts hmm. because customers can't believe it. They're like, oh my god, this is this a B2B to be actually something actually, different yeah that 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 had i mean think about go back to your pred example you know what what if every once in a while in your agency you just called a client and said yeah we're not going to charge you for that hmm. right they'd hmm. be like what sure. i mean you know who does that amazon web services so amazon web services huh. of course the, the largest um uh, hosting company in the world, and I'm sure they, they're involved with many listeners in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Amazon, not typically known as a very good word-of-mouth company, and on the consumer side, they're not, other than just being good at delivery. But on the B2B side, they are. So Amazon Web Services has this program. It's kind of like your Pret deal, where when Amazon adds servers, and of course, they're constantly adding servers and data centers, et cetera, uh, that changes their costs, right? And so what they do, instead of keeping the additional profit, they actually pass it along to customers. And the way it works is this, you're just get, you just get an email out of the blue from Amazon Web Services. It says, Nathan, uh, historically, your bill for hosting has been uh, $1,315. Right. Uh, we added some capacity, so effective today, it's $900. Amazing. They, they just drop your price. Amazing. Right? They, don't, they don't call you, they just yeah. email you and say, yeah, pay it's us done. now. Right, and people, what, wait. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and, and everybody will it's tell insane. that story because it's just it's, it's crazy. Sure. That never happens, right? So, uh, the the thing about B two B is that there's so many, um, 
there's so many parts of the customer journey that we take for granted that are so prosaic and boring that that those are the places where you can have a real impact if you just put a little twist on. I'll give an example. Hmm. So in, in the agency business, of course, we're always creating proposals, sending proposals, approving proposals, signing proposals, all the proposals, right? So if you ask your customer, hey, so when we send you a proposal, what do you expect will happen? Like what, 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 you know, knowing nothing about us, what would you expect? What they will tell you every time we've done the research on this. Well, we expect that you'll create a proposal for us and that you will uh, attach it as a PDF to an mm-hmm. email and you will send it to us and then we'll set up a meeting to review it or, or a, a video call or what have you. Mm-hmm. That sound about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's no opportunity in that exchange for word of mouth because you're doing exactly what they expect. Right. And talk triggers, by definition, have to be something that they don't expect. Okay. That's what makes it a story. So what if, um, what if instead of just emailing the proposal, what if you printed the proposal? And what if you put the proposal in a laminated plastic envelope? And then what if you went down to your, your bakers or your, or your grocers and you got one of those, we call them sheet cakes here, the, the, the long cakes and, and, and you, uh, and you, you can use, they've got companies that do custom frosting on top of the cake right? and you can actually give them a photograph and they will, they will make, um, using a machine, the frosting look like the photograph. So you could give them a picture of the cover of proposal of your proposal. Then they could make frosting that looks like your proposal. So the whole cake is the frosting looks like proposal under, but then you take the proposal itself in the plastic envelope and you sure. put it underneath the cake. Sure. Then you deliver the cake to the client. So the only way the client can access your proposal is to eat an entire cake. I love it. Now, would that create a story? Yes, it would. A little bit of differentiation. How much is that? Yeah. It's not that much work, right? It's probably 150 American dollars. Sure. And it take you an extra day to do that. But it would be an amazing talk trigger, right? Like you just got to quit being so damn boring, right? You know, like we're so safe all the Mm. time and, and we get what we deserve in that regard. Really interesting. Which is nothing, which is no conversation. Which is nothing, yeah, because we all blend into the background because everything is like paper, wallpaper. So so what you're saying is that those interactions that we have that are just prosaic and formulaic and, you know, emails, responding, pitching, presenting, that we just take for granted, there are opportunities within each of those things for an amazing talk trigger or an amazing experience. Yeah, it's it, the things that are the most boring are the ones that have the most impact because people expect the least of them. Uh, my business card, of course, everybody has business cards still, even though people don't use them as much because they're easy to find online, etc. My business card for the last 11 years has been a steel bottle opener. So you can you can open beers or, or sodas or soft drinks, what have you. Okay, very, uh, very They're about $3 handy. a piece. They're yeah. very heavy. Yeah. Uh, and, and people save them. I was just at an event literally yesterday in Las Vegas. Guy comes up to me and says, Jay, I saw you speak seven years ago and and I got your business card and I still have it. It's in my golf bag. So when I play golf and I'm drinking beers on the course, I always have your card. I'm like, man, look, I don't care where it is, but if you can see me seven years later and know exactly where my business card is amongst all of your possessions in this world, my work here is done. Sure. Right? Because it, the reason that's so effective is a business card is so mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever, throw them, throw them away. Mm-hmm. You take the most boring things and you put a little twist on it, and then it has the greatest impact. Well, let's talk a little bit about 
um, what it takes to actually create a talk trigger. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment because you've got these sort of four requirements for a talk trigger. But just be, just before that, you mentioned something about differentiation in B2B and that we like, we almost don't like to be too different to the competition for fear of kind of standing out or do something a little bit different, especially in, in B2B. So we have a tendency to kind of eliminate differences. And Young Mi Moon, um, author of um, uh, an amazing book, Different, she said that we don't like to get let the competition get too close, but we don't want them to get too far away either. So when British Airways gains a slight advantage in, in the airline industry or there's a frequent frequent fryer um, introduction or new program, or maybe Colgate um, has a slight edge in tooth whitening, we want to match them. So let's talk a little bit about why businesses don't like differentiation. It almost seems as though we want to be different, but we don't want to be too different. What's the solution there? A lot of times when we're thinking about being too different, it's it's more at the um, core proposition of what does the company offer, right? So so it's it's what what is inherent in in uh, your products and and services. And I'm not suggesting that you modify that too much. Uh, you know that's that's kind of above above my pay grade. I feel like you should you should stick to your knitting. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that Pret only sells like giraffe burgers or something, right? And that's how they're going to really get conversation. Uh, you know, I think they should be Pret, right? So so when we think about the talk triggers formula, it doesn't really suggest that you change the core of what you do. Five Guys still sells burgers and fries. It's just that when you do this one thing, you do that thing differently, mm. right? So so yes, you you don't want to go too far afield uh, because then people can't really make heads or tails uh, out of what you're trying to, to approach to the market. But I think the bigger challenge, and, and Youngby mentions this in her great book, is that is that companies um, you know really do play follow the leader all the time, right? It's 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 sort of the history of business. Mm -hmm. Somebody makes somebody does something and then you match it, and they mm -hmm. do something else and you match it, and mm -hmm. then you do something and then they match it. Mm -hmm. uh, but but a talk trigger. Uh, because it's not necessarily endemic to your to your uh, to your products and services, is something that if they match it, uh, most times people know that you're being that you're they're copying you, right? You can't really you can't really copy like so like think of if you have another burger outlet that started to do the fries in the bag, right? People would know that that was Five Guys thing. Like, sure, it, you know you could copy it, sure, but but you know it would be hard to 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 kind of get credit for that, I think. Um, every once in a while that does happen though. Every once in a while the, the category rises up and says, no, we're not gonna let you, uh, we're not gonna let you keep that. It, it happened, um, uh, I think most egregiously in the hotels industry. Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, Weston Hotels mm -hmm. um, rolled out what they call the heavenly bed. Mm. And, and the idea was that they were gonna have the most comfortable bed in any hotel chain. And really nice uh, mattress and 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 uh, duvet covers and pillows and sheets and the whole thing. Really nice. And that's a pretty good idea. And mm -hmm. they put a bunch of uh, effort behind it to roll it out. And then all the other hotel chains are like, nah, I think maybe we don't want you to own comfortable sure. bed as, as a differentiator. <laughs> right. So they all came out with their own thing, right? So right. Marriott came out with a thing and Hyatt and then everybody else. And so – it, the the industry sort of rose up so much that that um, they couldn't really protect it anymore, sure. and so now they don't they don't lead with that as their talk trigger. They have something different, but um, that that does happen, but not very often. Usually, 
if you come up with something, especially in B two B, yeah, uh, it, it's it's going to be yours it until you decide unique. you don't want to do it yeah. anymore. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. I guess the benefit of that is that it has it has the benefit of adding more value to the customer because as soon as all these different businesses improve their the quality of their beds, let's say, um, that has the benefit of obviously adding value to every single customer that uses all of all of the hotels, but also. I guess there's no additional increase in costs to the customer as well. So there's there's almost like because everyone wants to be so similar, they're increasing their own costs to be able to kind of improve the customer experience. But at the same time, they're actually adding value to the to the customer. So the customer gets a a, a great win, but it's not so much of a great win for the brand who has to shell out increasingly more to create this differentiated experience, differentiated experience that everyone yeah. just eventually copies. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is, that is one, one thing that we always think about when we're working on talk triggers and word of mouth strategy for clients is we have to make sure that the numbers add up, that, that the reduction in, in advertising spend that is made possible by turning more customers into volunteer marketers exceeds the operating costs of delivering the talk trigger to begin with. Sure. So think about five guys, right? So, so five guys does give you an awful lot of fries they've baked that into the price of fries, however, right? So, mm. so they know that a small is really a large mm. and, and their pricing reflects that. So it actually is revenue neutral, uh, for them to do that in other circumstances, uh, as you mentioned, Pret $10 per server, that $10 per server per day has to be a budget somewhere, right? So, so, you know, that, that, and a company the size of Pret that adds up, right? Sure. So somebody has to say, Free food is X amount, right? But the storytelling power of Nathan and everybody else who gets free food at Pret is Y amount, sure. and Y is going to exceed X at some level, right? So you do have to, you do have to pay attention to those kind of things, right? You can't just like walk in there and say everybody gets free food for life. Uh, that would create a lot of stories, but but you know you still got to run a business. Hmm. Quite quite fascinating. So so you say that having an improved customer experience is not a competitive advantage. And I think you'll actually make a lot of business leaders quite angry and frustrated because 95% of them say that providing a good customer experience is their top strategic priority and three quarters want to use customer experience as their main uh, piece of competitive advantage. But customer experience is about making things better. It's not about making things different. But can't having an improved customer experience create differentiation in of itself? Yeah, it's it kind of goes back to this idea that competency is really important um, and competency will keep your customers, mm. but competency doesn't create stories. Mm. Um, it can, but you have to be massively competent um, for, for somebody to say, you won't believe what happened to me when I did X, Y, and Z, uh, if, if it's really just a customer, if, if you're a little bit faster or you're a little bit um, uh, more efficient or whatever the, the circumstances are. We do a lot of customer experience consulting uh, and, and it can be really, really uh, important to the business, but it's not typically a word of mouth generator, right? It is, it is a retention game, not an acquisition game in most cases. Huh. So customer experience isn't really a differentiator, which, which is which is really interesting. Would you would you say that Amazon's customer experience is a differentiator? Because the first time that I got an, an Amazon order the day before I was expecting it, mm -hmm. I, again, yeah. I told everyone. So yeah. 
from that perspective, yeah. you could argue that it's. Uh, a I, I think to, I think to, today it, it it comes and goes, right? So Amazon has had a lot of customer experience um, things that they have pioneered. You know, one one click ordering, uh, quick turnaround on deliveries. Um, they sell everything, uh, a number of others, but those do tend to get those do tend to get matched. Hmm. So you think about um, maybe a better example is Zappos, uh, the the online mm-hmm. shoe and clothing retailer, which is now owned by Amazon, mm-hmm. wholly owned subsidiary. Zappos was the first company at any scale to offer two-way shipping, free two-way shipping. So you buy shoes, you get shoes. If you don't like the shoes, you can send the shoes back and they won't charge you to send them back. Hmm. When that came out, uh, man, it was probably eight, 10 years ago, that was crazy. Hmm. People could not believe it, right? Because it takes all the risk out of it. Like hmm. I'll, I'll order four pairs of shoes and if I don't like three, I'll send three back hmm. and fine. No, I, I'm not, I, there's no penalty for making a bad decision. Hmm. That's a major, major customer experience differentiator hmm. that does create conversations that hmm. becomes a talk trigger because it is, uh, it would be talkably generous in, uh, the parlance of the book. But now lots and lots and lots and lots Lots of e-commerce companies uh, and, and DTC companies use free two-way shipping, right? It's very, very common. So it, it became matched by the industry. So it's no longer talkable. It's still an important customer experience uh, sort of attribute, but but it doesn't create stories like it once did. Hmm. So in order to create a talk trigger, you say that there are four key requirements. It needs to be remarkable, mm-hmm. relevant, uh, reasonable, and repeatable. So the first one is remarkable. I would have said that's probably the hardest one to do, but equally probably the most important. Talk about how businesses should think about creating something that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it's just got to be a story worth telling. Uh, you know, that that's all it is. It has to be something that customers don't expect and find noteworthy enough that they will proactively tell the story. Hmm. Uh, there's so many different ways to, to do that. Uh, and it's not as hard as as it appears, even even for B two B. Look at a company like Uber Conference, right, which, which does free voice and video calls uh, over the internet, VoIP. And there's probably a dozen companies that do exactly the same thing. I mean, they at, at the product level, they are differentiated zero percent. But uh, Uber Conference is amazing at word of mouth. They have a terrific talk trigger, which is their on hold music that every customer gets when they're making a call is hilarious. It is a, a song actually written by their CEO. And it tells a tale of a guy who shows up to a conference call early and he's waiting and waiting and waiting and nobody ever else shows up. And he's like, is this call going to, you know, did, did I get the calendar date right. wrong? Like what's, you know, everybody's had that experience. Right. right. Uh, and then he drops off the call and then immediately everybody else joins the call. Right. And it is very funny and mm. a very catchy tune. And that is their talk trigger. Right. And if you go again, pause the show, go to Twitter, uh, search for Uber conference plus on hold, mm-hmm. you will see massive online word of mouth about this, about this talk trigger, right? Mm. So, uh, that is remarkable. It is a story worth telling. It is in the classic definition of that word, worthy of remark. Worthy of remark. What about reasonable? Give me, give me some examples of what a reasonable talk trigger is. This agency folks, um, are particularly guilty of this, including myself. We, we have been trained, uh, to believe that one of the ways you get customers talking is to is to shock them mm. is to give them something really really big right something that is so so big they have to talk about it let's rent an elephant uh, or whatever the circumstances are but the problem is 
in today's world, customers are naturally suspicious of, of claims, of promotions, of whatever, right? They, especially younger consumers, uh, whether it's B2B or B2C. So what we find in the research is that when you give customers an experience that's too grand, that's, that's too bold, it doesn't actually create conversation because there's an element of suspicion there. And, and so I don't want to tell you a story, Nathan, if I don't totally believe that that could be true. So this idea that like, hey, we're going to have a contest, right? Uh, and, and we're a B2B manufacturing company and we're going to have a contest and all of our customers are going to enter to win and one of you is going to win a Mercedes. You're like, I don't know, that that feels like a pretty big prize. Like sure. maybe there's a catch to that. Right. And so I don't tell the story because I'm not certain that it's true. Hmm. So the best talk triggers are those that are that are dynamic enough to be worthy of remark but not so big that people are like, yeah, that's probably not true. Yeah, interesting. Almost like the Oprah car car giveaway. Yeah, too much. Oprah uh, can get away with that because it's Oprah. Too much. Like, I can't do that. Right. Like, you know. You can't give away 500 cars. <laughs> for... I mean, I, even if I could, people wouldn't trust that I could. Right. Right. That's right. the difference. It's not about money. It's about do you trust that that's true? Huh. And 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 she can do that, but almost nobody else can. You said it also has to be repeatable. So like mm -hmm. the Five Guys experience. Right. So... Yeah. Five Guys versus Pratt. That's exactly what we're talking right. about when we say repeatable, right? Because so much in, in marketing now, especially social, is is we try to do the surprise and delight, right? Mm -hmm. Like like surprise and delight is exactly what Pratt is doing for you, which is you take one customer in a particular circumstance and you do something disproportionate for them so that they will tell the story. Totally worked on you. 100%. We talked about it on this show. Success for Pratt. But there's only so many of yous out there who have had that experience. So what we like to do is make sure that everybody gets the experience because then you have so many more people out there telling the story. Can, can price be a talk trigger? You you talk about the $100 cheesecake as one of the stories in, um, sure. in your book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the most expensive cheesecake, $1, I think. $1,000 yeah. cheesecake. $1,000 cheesecake. $1,000 cheesecake. Yeah, wow. that's from Jonah Berger's. Uh, we, we cite it in our book, but it's uh, it's from Jonah Berger's uh, okay. amazing book, uh, Contagious. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can be. Uh, typically, what we what we look for is is the price of free, right? And talkable generosity, mm. um, like extra fries at Five Guys, being uh, the best way to to make that work. But you could absolutely do it the other way, right? And 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 make it ludicrously expensive, and that creates a conversation. You see that every year, uh, at least here in the states. There's there's all the the catalogs, right, for, around the holidays, like Victoria's mm -hmm. Secret, the lingerie company. Mm -hmm. They they always have. Uh, like a bra and panties set in there that's that's bejeweled mm -hmm. uh, and it's like five million dollars or something uh, every year and it's you know that that creates it's like so absurd that it sure. creates conversation so sure. yeah, some of can work yeah huh. quite fascinating just before we get into our, our final questions towards the end of the interview you, you mentioned Jonah Berger and his amazing book Contagious he yeah. said in the book just as people use money to buy products and services they use social currency to achieve mm -hmm. desired. Uh, positive impressions amongst friends and family and co-workers so to get people talking companies need to mint social currency give people a way to make them look good while promoting their products and services along the way so it's this whole idea of sort of status you know we're status seeking animals essentially yeah give us a, a way to talk about ourselves and make ourselves look good in the in the eyes of our peers and, and, and co-workers yeah, absolutely. That's why one of the things that we've been working on lately is is more and more talk triggers that are Instagram friendly, huh. that that the experience or the mm. the gift or whatever the circumstances are can can be shared 
in a way in social media that's more innately visual um, because that's how people want to communicate and sort of how they how they front um, mm -hmm. for themselves and their mm -hmm. own circumstances. And, uh, you know, it's it, by no means do all talk triggers have to be uh, something like that. And, and, and talk triggers don't all have to be uh, given something somebody for free either. We've talked about a lot of generosity rooted talk triggers today, but but that's by no means the only way to do it. Uh, but if you're going to go down that road, something that they can actually take a picture of is probably better than something they can't take a picture of. Let's let's get into our final questions now towards the end of the interview. These are the interview. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, and I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, okay. Tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from the experience. Oh, man. So it's funny that we're doing this podcast. So uh, many years ago, oh, it's probably six years ago now, seven, um, I had an observation, which is that it's really hard to figure out what kind of podcast you want to listen to. <laughs> so my podcast, which is called Social Pros, is all about right. big company social media. We started January of 2012. Right. Lots of my friends have podcasts as well. And, and even even today in in nearly 2020, I think it's somewhat difficult to to find a new podcast. It is. And so many years ago, as I mentioned, I decided to solve that problem for the world. And I hired a dev firm and we built marketingpodcasts.com. Hmm. And marketingpodcasts.com was, for all intents and purposes, Google for a marketing podcast. You hmm. could you could uh, sort by, you want small business, you want B2B, you want branding, you want hmm. design, and you want social, digital, whatever. And then we had an algorithm that would recommend shows based on audience, based on number of reviews, based on reviews, velocity, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, it was slick. It worked really, really well. Hmm. Uh, got some attention for it. But the problem was I was so excited to solve this problem that the one problem I never solved and never really even thought about because I was so pumped is how do I make money at this? <laughs> and the, so we the did business. it for like a year and then I realized, the I realized like this isn't the business. This is not the business that I am in, nor the business that I want to be in. Uh, and, and so we let it go and, uh, and it is now defunct. And the lesson I learned there was um, I have a steady stream of ideas, hmm. but just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a good business idea. And, uh, and so now I try to think things through a little bit all the way to the end, uh, before I instruct my team to launch them. Quite fascinating. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced your approach to marketing, the way you think about sales, the way you think about growth. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really lucky uh, in in as a kid. I started in politics, and uh, I was a, a political campaign consultant and ran campaigns um, for for governor and did some work on U.S. presidential races and all those kind of things. And uh, it's 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 really good training because politics at the electoral level really is the purest form of marketing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you've got to take a an individual human person and say, is this a person uh, that you want to represent you in some way, shape, or form? Mm -hmm. And the ability to, to target messages to different audiences. Look, we know that this group cares about schools, this group cares about crime, this group cares about the environment, and, and, and using different media mixes and messages to influence uh, each of those taught me a lot about segmentation. And so I, I ultimately went from politics and in politics, I really specialized in direct mail. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was great training. So I sort of went from direct mail. Uh, and then I got into digital and did a lot of work in email. I was an email specialist for a bit and, and then more into social. And so they all really tie together uh, nicely. And, and so 
I had some fantastic mentors in my in my early career in the politics side. And, and my, my first boss ever, his name was Bob Robb. Hmm. Uh, he I was an intern at a, at a public affairs um, and uh, public relations agency. And it was just after my first year at university. So I think I was 18. Yeah, I wasn't even 19. Yet. I was 18 years old. He calls me on first day and he told me something, Nathan, that that um, has served me well now that I've been in the agency business for 30 years. Hmm. He said, Jay, always remember this. Our job as an agency is to give our clients our best professional advice. Their job is to decide whether or not to take it. Hmm. And that has really stayed with me every day since. And uh, it's super true. And, and uh, you know, you can lead a horse to water, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, and, and I was really fortunate to, to work for him and, and a lot of other great mentors. Hmm. Really good um, early formative mentors. We talked about um, Jonah Berger's book. We talked about your book. Tell us about some of your favorite books, um, either those books that have been really influential to you over the years or mm-hmm. the books that you're reading right now that you're thinking, wow, this, this is just great. Yeah. So I, one of my favorite books is called Procrastinate on Purpose <laughs> by my by good friend uh, Rory Vaden. It's okay. an amazing book on on productivity and time management. It takes a yeah. much different approach to that subject than than most books if you're if you're a busy professional i think everybody in the agency world is or um or it typically is it will really help you i love that i love that book uh a lot um there is a new book you mentioned uh, my friend um john jance and mm. he's got a new book coming out i just want to make sure i get the title right i'm looking up um he has a, a new book coming out uh any day and it's really and i i i helped with it a, a tiny bit um, it, it is a whole different kind of, of book. Um, mm. it is a daily, um, sort of a, 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 a daily read for entrepreneurs. Um, and, and it's this, this idea that, Hey, we need to kind of pick ourselves up and, and, and think about, you know, what are we doing in our life? And, mm. and it is, it, it's, it's sort of a combination business book, um, self-help book, almost, mm. uh, almost Bible. And it is mm. like nothing I have ever, ever read. Uh, and, and I feel like anybody who runs a business, um, needs to pick it up. It's called the self-reliant entrepreneur, the self-reliant entrepreneur, uh, official release date is October 22nd. Wow. It is extraordinary. And so it's got 365, uh, pages and every page has a, you know, it's like a daily read. It's just like oh. you would, a, a Bible or anything else. And it is, uh, it is really, so really special. It's, really it's super fast. special. Sounds, yeah, it sounds I, fascinating. Yeah. And if it's anything yeah. like his previous books, it's going to be fantastic because he's a fantastic author. He puts out some, some great. Yeah. He's such a good guy. What, what I, what I, I think I've got a blurb on the book, uh, on the cover. And I, and I said, you know, yeah, it'll make you a better business person, but more importantly, it'll make you a better person. Hmm. And I really believe that it's a, it's a special, it's a special work. Hmm. A little bit of business, a little bit of philosophy, really, really yeah, interesting. for sure. Yep. Um, so last couple of questions. So what advice would you give to a young person who wants to start their career in the agency world or in marketing? Yeah, I already have it. My daughter's 21. She's a, a junior at university in Boston. She's worked for us a couple of times. She's done several really important, uh, good internships in marketing. So yeah, this, this question hits really close to home. Uh, I'm, I'm living it every day. Hmm. What I told her is that, look, there's only three jobs that are going to exist in, in this world in comms. You can either be the relationship person, 
right? So you're sort of on the accounts side at some level. You can be on the creative side or you can be on the math side. That's it. Those are the only three jobs. You can call them whatever you want. You can categorize them however you'd like to, but there's only three jobs, hmm. relationships, math, and creative. Hmm. And, and so as quickly as possible, you have to figure out which of those you are and know as much as you can about that third of the business. Hmm. And if you're none of those three, get the hell out right now <laughs> because you're not going to have a future. So, so what's the relationship side? Is that account handling, sales? Yeah, account handling, yeah, strategy, um, that, that, that side of it, yeah. Huh, R really fascinating. What was her response? So it's interesting. She thought um, she wanted to be on, she knew she wasn't going to be on the math side. She, mm. she, that, that was not, that right. was not a, okay. an option. <laughs> so she was down to two. And, and she really thought she wanted to be on the creative side and be a yeah. copywriter. And she could still maybe go that way, but now I think she's going to end up on the on the accounts side. Mm. Um, and, and she really likes the, um, she's really good at social media and, and so it's just kind of a combination of, um, relationships and, and creative, and at least creative. for now. Yeah. Uh, but she likes event planning too. So she may go into the event planning uh, business. We'll see. Quite fascinating. Okay. And, and my final question, what is it you know about marketing and growing businesses today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? I guess I would say, and this is going to sound trite, but it's not. Um, you you have to do whatever you can to create a culture that allows people to do their best work and encourages them to stay. You know what 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 I see all the time, and agencies really have a, a rough road with this is the constant churn of personnel hmm. is really the enemy of ec excellence and growth. I would say the thing that I'm most proud of in business is that here at Convince and Convert, our first eight years in business, we had 100% retention rate. We never had a team member leave for eight entire years. Hmm. And that isn't easy to do, but it certainly makes your life a lot easier uh, in, in a services business when you know uh, who you have on your team, you know what their strengths and weaknesses are, you know, the, the constant hiring and, and, and training and all those things. It just, it, 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 it takes so much out of you as a business owner um, to be handling that constant personnel churn that if you can avoid that, uh, that is, I think, the, the best thing you can do, frankly. Hmm. Great, great advice and a good place to end. Thank you so much for doing this, Jay. Oh, my pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you so much for the thoughtful questions and the great show. We have been speaking with Jay Beer. He is the founder of Convince and Convert, best-selling author, consultant, and speaker. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. The responses, again, have been have been overwhelming. Um, we're not going to ask you to subscribe, share a five-star rating, or uh, share this episode with your friends, because our thinking is, if the content is any good, you will willingly do that anyway. We'll leave that decision up to you. Email me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters.